This is a Media Lab podcast. All I'm saying, Dave, is that I didn't even know we had a screening room. Well, in the spaceship, isn't everything a screening room? I mean, how have we been watching all of these films? I, I know, but this is this is like an auditorium, a huge screen. I guess I should walk around the ship more. I've only been staying up at the front in your I, filth. I've been telling you to get out more. I mean, it's just not healthy. It's just not healthy. Weirdly enough, the machine has been has forced us into this room. Right, machine? Please don't talk to me directly. It breaks the truce we made months ago. Yeah, we're supposed to be talking about the Calgary International Film Festival. Still going on, I should point out, in Earth years. On Earth, currently. Yeah, I was going to say. How did you even get access to this? We are very deep in space. No. Well, the the machine is nefarious in so many ways, and it is able to have given us a screener of this film called Buck Alamo and hmm. is also transporting the director and writer Ben Epstein for us to talk to. It's our first director, Dave. It's like some high bandwidth. It's pretty exciting the kind of internet you get out here in space. <laughs> yeah, Shaw. What, Fiber. What, what the fuck is up with my internet here at home? <laughs> God, I wonder if I'm... You, you gotta pay for Fiber. Five or ten thousand. Do I still owe them money? I've been gone for so long. No, I'm sure they're very forgiving. You know, modern corporations really just put their customers first. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess the opening music should go here then now. <laughs> on a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Just a little uh, programming note, I'll say we are actually weirdly projected live at the Calgary International Film Festival right now. We're still on the spaceship, just our projections are live, and therefore are picking up the hustle and bustle of the festival itself. You may or may not hear people yelling in the background, carts <laughs> being moved around, but that's what adds to the feel, the cinema verite nature of, of, just of this festival. just advanced fully. I mean, uh, this is the that's greatest right. production value you hear on Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. The thing is, Dave, and, and you know this, of course, is that this episode of Kyle and Dave versus the Machine was recorded on site, I mean, through projections, of course, at the Calgary International Film Festival, now, if you can believe it, in its 22nd year. SIF brings the best of Alberta, Canadian, and world cinema to Calgary each fall. You can sign up for the SIF newsletter at sifcalgary.ca slash newsletter, or follow at SIF Calgary on all platforms to be sure you don't miss out on any of the exciting upcoming events. Me? I'm the inevitable. Hey kids! Let's welcome a real live singing cowboy! I can be seen in many forms. Buck and I shared stages years ago all the way from Austin to Lukenbach. That's your turn, Buck. Mom called many names. Go tip the band. And if you need any incentives, the man in black is watching nearby. My name is Jeff. 
this valley. Well, I mean, the, the machine has brought us here to the Calvary International Festival, Dave, and we are now exciting. sitting in, in front of uh, Ben Epstein after also having just exciting. watched. Yeah, an actual director. An actual director well, has made it. Not just looking at each way. other. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Making up things that we think that was the intent behind what, yeah. what they've done. I mean, just to like segue into this, sure. uh, I'm, I'm so curious to know, do you have like that first like film memory that you have? Something that's like, oh, like this is amazing what I'm watching. First film memory of amazing that I'm watching. It's funny yeah. that because I think if there's one I was terrified, which was Beauty and the Beast. Really, okay. like the cartoon? Yeah, yeah. I was I was just absolutely terrified whenever they changed the Beast into. I thought it was a girl, and they didn't. I just it didn't compete with my my young kid brain right. at the time, and that's like burnt into my brain. When I watched Pulp Fiction at probably too young of an age. <laughs> That right, was right, like right. A, that was a really big one like for me. Um, visceral. It was it was a visceral experience. Just kind of like when I started, I had two older brothers that are six and nine years older than me, and kind of mm-hmm. yeah, I started watching some of those at, at uh, probably too young of an age, but also realized just like the world of filmmaking and how you could just even at that point, you know. Oh, oh, we're taking pictures. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Real person, real <laughs> photographer. <laughs> this is like so a, weird. It's amazing. Yeah. This is like a cool thing. <laughs> And then you're going to wake up and it's going to be August of 2020 again. <laughs> um, That'd be something. Night 2019. I'll take 2019. Yeah, there we go. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Can that, can that, that's going to be in it. Oh, it's going to be in it. I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was so amazing. She's still taking pictures out from through the window too. Now she's, doing a da- now she's doing a dance. Cartwheel, backflips. Oh my gosh. This is incredible. And a shark has eaten her. Oh my God. This is a, an amazing festival that we've had. Uh, deep and rich fiction, Dave. Deep and rich fiction. Um, so yeah, the there's actually. Do you guys remember the Last Unicorn, that kids movie mm, with I Jeff do. Bridges? Yeah, that was probably actually the kids movie that kind of like opened my window to like the world of cinema and like the and the the, the animated movie that wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. like there were so many like dark themes and certain ways to do it, but it was also hilarious. I think that mm-hmm. basically the butter and fly and that was like Dory before Dory, you know, yeah. like there was just so many things with that. And that was probably one of the most quintessential actually like first movie kind of things that really did it for me. That's cool. When do you think you switch from being like, I like to watch movies to I want to make movies? I was like 10 years old with my friends, James Daniel and Justin Hamilton at his lake house making war movies with our Red Rider BB guns. Awesome. Yeah. So we started, yeah, I started early. Um, one of my older brothers was a uh, like theater traveling stuff too. Mm. So I watched, that was a huge influence and I looked up to that, but also knowing like I'm, I was more inclined to uh, want to figure out exactly like how to make movies and like movies more than theater as far as that whole thing. Right. And another movie that really like influenced me was Bottle Rocket, which is just crazy now that Wes Anderson's got like just the trajectory of his career. Um, Like a rocket almost. It's literally like a rocket. Seriously. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm so excited to see the French Dispatch. Oh, me too. But yeah, so like that was another one that really kind of like, again, which is just the like finding a way to like actually be behind all of that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the chance to puppeteer it and kind of create your own universe. And so, yeah, it just kind of went from 10 year old kid to going into like film magnets and doing all that stuff and just trying to learn how to do everything I could, you know. It's fascinating to think about watching and uh, getting into film, but thinking about being behind the lens as opposed to a lot of people that 
want to uh, be famous <laughs> and take part of what's happening uh, on the screen per se. Um, do you think that's just something, yeah, it sounds almost uh, intuitive for you that you wanted to build it from uh, behind and not have someone shoot you doing cartwheels and getting eaten mm-hmm. by sharks. Yeah. yeah. No, I, no, exactly. I want to figure out how to make it look like someone's really getting <laughs> eaten by a shark while doing a cartwheel. I, I kind of like still have this issue, which is I've always kind of done it to entertain myself. Mm. And so like even at a younger age, just like writing, like handwriting what I thought were scripts at the time, you mm-hmm. know, um, since I was a little kid and it just kind of like is still this day remain like kind of an, it's kind of just what I do to entertain myself. My hardest part is, is actually getting to the point of showing people. Mm. Um, and then, then also just that point of abandonment, which is just, you have to like stop paying attention to what you're doing so you can mm. do the next thing. I do it a lot to kind of entertain myself. well i mean to that point about like entertaining yourself what i'm always curious about is like do you have an audience in mind when you're creating your stuff or is it like this is just something i absolutely need to get out of my system uh unfortunately it's the system thing i'm trying to Mm -hmm. figure out how to get a little more conscious i I think that there's an audience for everything Mm -hmm. um particularly in today's day and age i think that there's like a niche for everything kind of market, you know, but I do find I have my own issues as far as ever succinctly explaining what I was uh, like, what genre something is or what that kind of like all of those things. But I think that that's part of creating movies, creating art, doing any of that kind of stuff, which is like without experimentation, then nothing new gets created. And so that can also, you know, just be a a part of it. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, Dave and I kind of keep coming back to this same discussion often. It's like, what, what does genre even mean anymore? Because it seems like it's been so fractured. Like, of course, you have like, you're very general. This is a drama. This is a comedy. But it seems well, like they don't have been, that anymore. Yeah. Everything's a dramedy or a you know, a com- kind of yeah. drama. Com- yeah. But everything is like a mixture of everything uh, nowadays. So it's well, in more in, easier, I guess, to experiment well, with maybe, that. Like you brought up uh, an interesting distinction, you know, between art and movies. Like, is there something? Do you think that as someone who builds films uh, from such a personal place? that you look at it different than how someone might yeah, develop a large budget blockbuster. I, I think that every filmmaker looks at it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's even with some of my closest collaborators. And that's why it's, you find those collaborators that can hopefully show you like windows into something that you aren't accustomed to. Like one of the reasons that I also love filmmaking as an art form is that's the most collaborative art mm-hmm. form on the planet. So like it's, and it is where from music to visual art to, you know, uh, photography to, you know, writing at its base, you know, directing, working with actors. There's just so many art forms that are put into, you know, 90 minutes for someone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think that even, yeah, even the huge budget things, I mean, they're doing it. They're doing it great. And I mean, there are, you got to think of some of those uh, superhero movies, and I'm not a superhero movie person, but at the same time, there's a VFX artist that's sitting in a cubbyhole, like, you know, uh, busting their butt about it, like, and, right. and like actually creating like a great, beautiful frame of something magnificent, you know. And, the, the, and it takes a lot of work and it, t- it is their art too, so. I, I often think about that because nowadays those movies are like, we are coming out on this day and they told mm. them five years beforehand. <laughs> it's like, well, it has to go out. So I'm gonna you know, work overtime for the next three weeks to get this done. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're totally right. That's one of the things hopefully that can remain, which is from the smallest indies to the biggest things, which is just hopefully having platforms for all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. We, of course, are here a little bit to talk about your new film called Buck Alamo. 
for me, I'm, and this is me projecting a little bit, but for me, this seems like a very personal film that you have created here. Do you want to do the hard work and just tell people like a little bit about what the film is even about? Sure. It's a, like we were saying, the genre thing. So mm-hmm. I like I, I joke where it's like, it's a dramatic dream Western <laughs> or uh, it's it's an experimental drama, which is, I mm-hmm. think it's the easiest way to say some of these. But um, if, if anything, it's just, it's a, it's a character study um, that is incredibly personal. Um, I grew up in Texas. I'm, I'm from that world. Whereabouts in Texas? I grew up in Dallas. My whole family's in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we shot the movie. Was in Austin, and even so, and the the actual like one, which is like I'm just terrified. I'm going to be buck someday. <sighs> but as are a lot of people who mm-hmm. even don't don't even work in the arts, which is but you have like something that you do every day, and it's going to be a big old book of something. Um, but uh, in the, the Buck character himself was actually closely inspired. I have an uncle that lives in Central Austin, who uh, is actually the guy in the church. Um, playing the guitar. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and he actually wrote some of the music that's in there. Um, and he's kind of in a, that circumstance where he can talk and tell a whole bunch of long-winded tales and you wonder, you know, like a, how much of it's true or how much of it isn't. You know, the, the, the could have been what we we always joke about, the wannabe has been, which is a line that Buck has in the movie. Yes. Just want to be a wannabe has been. Just wanted that one thing. So there was that this inspiration and it actually like I, I uh, met him for the first time in like 16 years after um, my grandma passed. Um, he's actually my, de- my dad's stepbrother. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went out to visit him. My wife, Kelly, and I was actually a producer on the movie. And, uh, we, uh, and we, just, like, we just started talking to him and thought it would maybe be a documentary or something. Didn't mm-hmm. know, just exploring. Um, and it wasn't those things that maybe it could have been, but it then birthed the inspiration for what was supposed to be a simple story that then my brain just started just messing it up and tearing it to pieces. Mm-hmm. So that's a long backstory behind it. Buck itself, um, yeah, it's a character study about a wannabe has been musician told from the point of view, like you're watching his swan song. It's right. a ballad, yep. you know, and it's a love. So in those ways, it's a love story and meanders in and out of, you know, uh, total realism to imagery, metaphors, you know, biblical references, all these things that I thought that would be what this guy would have as his opus hmm. before he, you know, before he goes off to whatever's next or is just dead in the ground. I will know? say this, like what was totally messing with my brain, I told uh, Dave this too, is that uh, Buck himself looks exactly like my father. And it was just like, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> this is so weird. What is going on right now? And him doing stuff is like, yeah, that's like what my dad would do. <laughs> He's not a singer or anything like that, but him shuffling along and like some of the words out of his mouth, like that's my dad. Uh, so there was that little bit of pull through uh, for me as well. Yeah, it looks just like my dad yeah, too. Yeah, right? so. no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was watching it and for sure the first time I watched it, I had difficulty kind of working through it. But listening to it, I think it's because it's so personal to you and your experiences. And uh, I don't have those experiences. So, yeah, I'm from Toronto. I live in a an urban city and uh, all of the language around it was was an interesting thing to pull through. But I watched it again. And listening to you talk, it felt like a poem. Like it felt like something you're writing to yourself, and I, or to like to somebody like your. Fa- it turns out it's family. It sort of feels like, and it was fascinating to kind of 
see how you're playing with yeah color saturation the rattlesnakes all the things that were becoming very uh pointed and i, mm-hmm. I wanted to hear uh, like understand what those things were meant to convey because it was really uh it made my brain twist a lot <laughs> it's great yeah and it and it and it should uh, i mean I, one of the things with what you were saying about the father thing, which mm-hmm. is that's, and that was a, that's a huge goal of who this is. And that was a big part in creating it was Buck. We needed to land Buck just on the technical level and working with Sonny mm-hmm. and Sonny Carl Davis himself is an actor who, and he blew up in the seventies. The I don't know if you guys are familiar with Eagle Pinnell. No. He, conv- he he made these movies that Robert Redford started Sundance inspired him to do it. These gotcha. tiny Indies in central Texas. Sonny was the lead in those movies. This was his first lead role since those movies. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And he he's- was in Thelma and Louise and fast times at Ridgemont high. And like mm. all he's the guy that yells at the, the, the yelling at the counter with the fast food counter. Yeah, yeah. He's like a bit role in all these big movies over a few decades, but he will admit himself about basically his struggles with addiction and other just getting can't couldn't get out of his own way before he moved back to Austin and started working with like Richard Linkletter and his small roles right. in his movies and other things. But um, so he just he's mainly does mainly comedic stuff, but uh, he had some just truths that were within this character, which was a big hope for us, which was people would see this their own fathers or uncles themselves in this guy Mm -hmm. and you know and even see the part where it's like it's not really asking for forgiveness necessarily at that stage either um which is also just like a kind of meditation with myself and i appreciate you saying the 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 poem thing my uh my older brother calls me the cowboy poet so that's that's (laughs) good that it's making its way to canada um well you're alberta this cowboy's here too (laughs) yeah um, but as far as the visual elements and those kind of things, it's, I hope that there is something to it that people can interpret it for themselves to connect enough with those things. Um, but on a general sense, the movie kind of, it's, it's supposed to live between dream memory and reality. And that's where it's structure or a lack of structure kind of goes into. And so I do think that there are like, like you said, with the rattlesnakes and things like that, where things can apply just purely in a, you know, a a metaphorical sense or a, a, a place of unexplainable chaos. And those, some of the, the, just the soundscapes and other things that we did within there, which just kind of can be when you are ultimately digging deeper into yourself it can get more and more and more chaotic. And that's what kind of uh, a lot of what the narrative, the the, the narrative of it is, is this, is he kind of digs deeper and cracks more into that self. So uh, that, that you're going to get more and more of that kind of thing. Hopefully there's, that there is a little bit of like the poignant moment of uh, when you have the transition and the third act with him and the preacher Mm. and the preacher's kind of in his world at that moment in time, there's kind of a glimpse into all of that. But uh, you know, hopefully that's another thing, which is making something. And even as I said, I do it to entertain myself, but making something to uh, be watched a few times and hopefully getting more and more out of it each time. I know you said that you kind of started in, in theater and branching out in, into films a little bit. Were you yourself ever a performer in any capacity? I acted a lot in my own stuff right. to start off. Um, and I wouldn't be against it. But I also found as a filmmaker, the only way to really get things done is if I had to do a lot of things in as far as so. Mm-hmm. My passions were, like you said, my passions have never been to get 
famous to be have my face be famous to have anything like right. that um i think and i think that acting is such a personal and amazing uh art form and at this point it's like i feel like i would be uh uh, to no offense of, of Tarantino or, you know, sure. Hitchcock, but it's like, it's like you can tell whenever they, they're, they're sticking themselves in there sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, maybe they ought not to. You know, <laughs> it's, it's up to their, you know what, they're making opuses every time, right, right, let right. them do whatever the heck they want. But um, no, but th that was, yeah. And I wouldn't say that it wouldn't be that, but the way that Buck was, it's like, you know, I was doing my second unit cinematography and mm -hmm. uh, we had days we were shooting with a six person crew you know, uh, so if the, the, the scale of the movie and all of that kind of stuff and just the way that it, I, t I tend to work, I, I'm very hands on behind the camera. I couldn't like this taking on something that important again. Mm -hmm. And there are so many amazing people who can bring their own version. I mean, I would have been a terrible buck. <laughs> no, sure, sure. I would have done it. We haven't heard you sing or pick yet. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I bring that up in part because uh, I was letting you know before we push record here that I also checked out your short film here this week. And I'm so bad at remembering names. There's an actress that's in that as well as in this Lietti. movie. Yeah. She's amazing. Phenomenal. But yeah. it's like there are these great performances you're bringing out of these these actors. And I find that oftentimes that is from people who have had a bit of performance themselves and are able to guide them. It's like, this is exactly what I need you to do. And I'm sure you guys have heard it before. Casting is very important. Yeah. Um, and depending, like in the case of Lee, Lee's so great is she's one of those actresses. You can just kind of like give a, a minute amount of instruction to, and she just brings something to the table and you're like, Oh, whoa. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, and Buck, we, the way we had to schedule it, we were having to shoot like her days, like 11 page days. And I knew cause she was the only person I knew that could pull it off. She's just, I think she's just that good. Yeah. Um, she's the type of performer that is able to infuse her character. Sometimes with me like, should I be watching this? This feels very personal. Yeah. Yeah, picking up on here. Yeah, which is, which is, yeah. And that's something that as a filmmaker, uh, and I, and whenever I get to play with better toys and do that. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I also believe in the philosophy of like, I think the close up is like magnificent. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a, 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 a glimpse into someone that, you know, you wouldn't be able to do. It's being in a full-time portrait mode where you're just watching <laughs> something. And so if you have something where you're giving the freedom to your actors to really emote and really feel something out. And I think that there can be that, that human connection, which like you said, it may be uncomfortable, but it's meant to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of Buck is meant to be uncomfortable and, and just, yeah, in her case, she's just so stinking awesome. But it is, I think it's about knowing how to work with each individual actor. I mean, I just, I did, I've done a bunch of short films amongst other things, worked with good act. I did a lot of like stuff in sports where it's like working with, uh, like Dan Patrick is a big sports guy, but it's like, it's not, he's not sorry, Dan, if you end up listening to this, <laughs> but, but he's, you know, he's in Adam Sandler, maybe he's a funny guy, but it's like, you also know just where to go with something with who you're working with. Just put him in a space suit. But yeah, I've, I've honestly found that if you can cast and then, and, and give enough direction to start off with, but also if it seems like what your vision, it was, wasn't necessarily working, mm -hmm. um, being willing to, you know, we live in the digital age. We're not burning film, you know? Sure. So just, so getting a chance to like, just to be quick on your feet. So much of filmmaking is being quick on your feet, you know? Um, and that some of our, I think some of our best moments and uh, a lot of the things that we do is just this being able to find that and stay, stick to what we are trying to do. But, you know, mm -hmm. I guess it is the, uh, 
you know, what's that Stanley Kubrick guy? You know, just keep doing takes until you find something in well, there. Right, right. We talked about that. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been coming, we're doing sort of a historical look year by year. So we're going, we're meeting some of these so-called auteurs and some of them are fucking terrible. They're, they're brutal and controlling and they make works that have apparently stood the test of time in many cases. But when you brought up collaboration, I was thinking kind of to Kyle's earlier uh, question, you know, how collaboration can sometimes change the genre of a film maybe. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the tone will keep evolving the more people are allowed to uh, voice their opinion as to how it's going. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I just wonder, as a director or as a creator, I mean, you wrote it, you, you built this whole thing essentially from the ground up. Yeah, how's that process sort of letting that breathe? Because it sounds like you really connect with everybody on set. So is that something where you feel like if someone interprets it a different way than you imagined it, it becomes a, a pullback moment? Or? It, it depends. I mean, again, and that's why I said it also kind of goes to casting because there are sometimes you're working with actors and they can either not be willing to say your words or just like don't even give your words a chance before they want to mm. like put their stamp on it uh, or do those kind of things. And that's why it is. It's just a lot of like push and pull in those, I think those kind of ways. I mean, I think that it's crazy for anyone, no matter what age they are. Um, and I mean, I'm still pretty early on in my my filmmaking career, I guess, as to know that I will always continue to be learning. And I think that that's also the case with a lot of uh, actors and other things. But, you know, that's I think if anything, it's just it's having that knowing that it's a pure collaboration in that way. But, you know, you need they need to do what you want them to do and you need to be willing to give them the freedom to try some things. And I get the, and I, sometimes that total control also really works out. It just depends on who the director is too. Mm -hmm. Some directors visions are so, you know, hyper focused and mine are usually, I would say they're pretty hyper focused, but I've also just found that like, there's a, a happy place with the, the actors and that kind of thing. The, um, and luckily, when you're just making the the low budget indie that, you know, you, of course, are going to study like John Cassavetes and that kind of stuff. So you're going to like the fact that like, OK, so this guy was getting nominated for Best Picture with these huge movies, you know, and he was doing these things and like shooting in his house. You know, maybe that isn't totally wrong as far as like how he went about some of that stuff, yeah. even if it's not your cup of tea for as a film. But it's like, you know, study all of it, see what works, see what doesn't keep learning well i mean again we keep going back to some of the stuff we've been learning here in 1971 but it's even though i have a fondness for like the uh the the original planet of the apes films obsession uh, (laughs) maybe a bordering on obsession (laughs) there we watched the third one in that series and it's it very much looks like ooh, like this is you can tell it's kind of cheesy and like not big budget but simultaneously spielberg makes a duel for a quarter of that budget and it looks phenomenal <laughs> so it's like you kind of just have to know how to use what is given to you and you can still create something pretty great but also the counterpoint is we couldn't stop talking about escape from the planet of the apes really yeah like the uh conceptual themes underneath it so it's yeah packaged cheaply in a sense like yeah. it's a it's, it's fairly it's, medium it's not a good film. movie but no. it's but the topics are interesting but they push everything it's crazy it's like politics environmentalism uh, they do like an ethical discussion about euthanasia or like a precognition essentially of like murdering people before they commit crimes it's like a it's like way yeah, out there i didn't realize it was that heavy it's oh my weird God. right because it looks so corny and <laughs> 
Honestly, every one of those sequels gets weirder and it was more bizarre. But. Do you think that they were doing the checklist? Like that they <laughs> needed to like, they were saying this is a sequel, we need to do the checklist now? And like, You almost. might know better so, than me. I, I don't know. know. It, it, it's the, the weirder, weirdest series because they actually got less money every sequel they got, which is like not how Hollywood works no. anymore. <laughs> yeah, they have a hit and they're like, can you do it for less? And yeah. they actually get another hit. They're like, well, can we're going to give you a little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But I mean, I think what we like, uh, I think this is why we're still friends is we, want to understand like having a conversation with you and understanding uh, why right uh, mm. we, we like the artist more than necessarily the package that it comes in because otherwise you get caught up yeah in obsessing let's say over the mcu because they have the highest budget for special effects sure uh without realizing they're essentially making the same movie you know, over over and over again which is not you know it's fine like i've watched mm. all of them uh, but it's fun to watch films where there's a message underneath and this one again uh, is so personal and uh, it's exciting to meet you because uh, we've essentially read a letter you wrote, and now we want to find out who wrote the letter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just stumbled across the right? yeah. this letter. Yeah, it's like, well, we have the thing about the phrase message in a bottle because mm-hmm. that was an awful movie. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like that. We, we get access because uh, Kyle did so much hard work to, to build this. And uh, well, yeah, we got a really cool personal experience. The way you brought up too at the beginning, I, I am, I, I guess, an artist too, and I hate the idea of sitting in front of somebody to, like, if I have a, an image on the wall, and mm-hmm. you feel very You're vulnerable. You're a photographer. We should maybe point yeah, that out. <laughs> uh, very vulnerable and exposed, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is something like that where it is very interesting to kind of almost be you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in many ways, uh, without knowing you at all. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. No, it is. And I think that, I don't know, it, it, the whole thing is it's also supposed to have a sense of perspective to it. Like you are kind of mm-hmm. watching it through a very specific lens that maybe you shouldn't be watching it through, but yeah. like you're, you're given that glimpse into that. And yeah, whether it's me, whether it's Buck, hopefully, whatever, however people take it is however people, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately end up taking it. But it, it is, it's, uh, I think something we, uh, it, it will be till the end of time, which is just, you know, it's, when you when you make something, sometimes it's hard to uh... let it go. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to that point, I mean, you are definitely, as, as you have mentioned, within that um, indie film realm. Something that David and I are constantly coming back to is, of course, you're not going to turn down necessarily like a larger budget if someone was to give it to you. But I guess, how do you retain that indiness without, you know? Um, starving <laughs> as an artist well, at yeah. the same time. What does it mean to sell out? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's maybe what I'm really. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, which it, just as far as I think that there, with a bigger budget, there's more opportunity. Part of creating Buck was knowing that this was, you know, uh, this is a savings and credit card and you know mm. some family loan kind of like handshake deal money to make this yeah. and knowing that this was going to maybe be the one time in my career where I just got to just do whatever the hell I wanted um and and just like in going and going with that knowing that that is also part of the with the more the when the money comes from somewhere else and all that stuff, there are those sacrifices that you might not agree with. Right. I think that that is the lucky thing for me kind of coming starting in like a music video and commercial background and part of me going into really taking the leap into indie filmmaking and that stuff was because I was uh, just kind of exhausted with that. But I think that um, I think that it's just about continuing probably to find the right people that are hopefully, hopefully the people that are going to give the opportunity to the guy who made Buck Alamo 
are going to mm. also be looking for the stuff that the guy that made Buck Alamo wanted to make. Uh, right, wants to make, right, you know? Right. Shit, if I got to make a, a, a Marvel movie, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a weird friggin' Marvel movie, man. <laughs> sure. no, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're getting weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just watched this, uh, you know, Apple release of the new phones and all the cinema mode and all this shit. As an indie, both as an indie film director, but you've worked in the music video industry and the commercial things. What do you think What's going to happen next for you, like in the industry thing, with filmmaking in general? I feel like the blockbusters, Kyle laments how we've gone into the blockbuster culture where everything has got to make a billion dollars right. and nobody gives a shit. And that the indie film or the uh, small budget films have been pushed largely to the wayside. Definitely those mid-budget films are having a harder time like <laughs> finding, yeah. an audience. finding an audience. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. We were talking before about this, which is just like uh, the festival run for Buck. And mm-hmm. it's just like we're ultimately looking at probably keeping this whole thing short, pretty short. Um, just because it's just, we live, we live in a day and age where festivals are amazing. Like it's like the, they can be the, uh, first place of discovery for indie filmmakers to get in front of certain eyes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the struggle for festivals that is just sad and it's and it, but it also reflects down to the filmmakers themselves. And I think that it's just, um, so it's just making it, it seems like it's making it even harder and harder. Um, and cause unfortunately a lot of these festivals are take, having to take less movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the, the, from my understanding, the virtual numbers are, are pretty good. People are watching these things at home. Right. Um, that's a whole different can of worms as a filmmaker as far as how that goes. Cause it, it just is. I think that it's a weird both dilemma and opportunity because there are just opportunities to make the movies now that you can, you can make them, you can get a camera and you can do these things. But I think as far as like making money and doing the, having a living that's like, I think a lot of people where indie filmmakers, the way that they survive is because they're still taking the editing jobs and doing these other things that, you know, which is a, a huge part of, of all of it. As far as how it goes about it, it's people just got to like have that dream and that vision. And then hopefully they can find a way to like, you're, we were talking about early Hollywood in the seventies, which is, right just you know that at some point maybe people are going to get tired of seeing some of the same stuff over and over and over again i love genre some genre stuff i love uh i mean like i said pulp fiction like Mm -hmm. i love movies with that that have action that have surprising violence i'm a huge coen brothers fan and i think one of the beauties beautiful things about the coen brothers is not only it's like they're because the, the way that they can go from comedy to drama everything's a character study and 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 an ensemble so every character is just so cool and unique, which is like a big thing I strive for. That's like probably like my blessing and my curse is I probably spend too much time on my characters and not as much time on everything else because it doesn't isn't quite as interesting to me. But then they'll do that moment of just like, boom, you know, surprising yeah. violence. And they won't even be on screen for that long. <laughs> but it'll sit with you for like five minutes when you're like, that dude's head just got blown off. <laughs> he just uh, went through a wood chipper. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And I, and I would love to be able to, you know, uh, obviously, the like the Tarantino, the Coen Brothers, right, right. you know, like that's well, impossible. I, but honestly, the Coen Brothers are an interesting analog because I find their work 
so fascinating because it's only like a slight degree to the left or to the right versus like this is a drama that has comedy elements or this is a comedy that has dram- uh, dramatic elements and they seem to like just kind of weave back and forth there yeah there's a, a more awareness or a nuance of trying to capture something that's more real because life is never one tone you know mm-hmm. and i think that there was an era with genre films where yeah if i go and pay money i mean i lament a little bit that there's no more just pure comedies anymore you know everything's mm-hmm. got to be marred or dirtied up now and it's a little frustrating because i don't want to uh, get angry when i see you know, when i want to laugh but at the same time trying to capture something like so in your film trying to capture something that uh, both has heartwarming moments as we follow this man whose kind of life is literally collapsing before us but also he's a little bit cruel at times and there are so many different threads here with, with the performance of her two daughters and you know that's a hard to digest sometimes because if i'm not walking in and wanting to see reality mm-hmm. uh, then i'm i'm not ready for it uh, which is why i think in the second viewing i felt like oh like i i, I see what we're trying to do here which is uh, it's people you know and we mm-hmm. actually we actually had this talk too, like what's the difference between narrative and plot, you know? And mm-hmm. is it important for everything to tie up in a neat bow at the end? Mm-hmm. Or is it good enough that I, or better even, that I get to just see people evolve on the screen, mm-hmm. even if it's for a snippet of their life? Mm-hmm. Um, those are challenging questions. I'd, I don't know, very personal ones, because <laughs> everybody's gonna have a different opinion about things like that. It's just neat to see people pushing for this agenda essentially i don't know if it's intentional but being creative for creative sake i feel like it's cool i don't know i respect it i don't see it enough you know when we look at the top selling list of 1971 they are not blockbusters no it's That's wild like, yeah it's like uh, existential dramas people went to go see it and you're like what nobody would watch this movie know, anymore. My, my favorite fact is whenever Kramer versus Kramer came out in 78 or 79. If you adjust for inflation, it made more than the last Spider-Man film did. I'm like, there's no way that would ever happen nowadays. There's yeah. no way that would ever happen. The 70s were this weird, magical period. Yeah, I don't know where if we're getting dumber. To, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I'll, yes. say yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it. I'll put my name on it. Yeah. No, no. I, I think it's... Uh, people and maybe it's because it's like we have such a even more access to how like chaotic our real world is yeah that people just really want to be able to turn their brain off and go on a roller coaster ride people a lot of people don't read anymore mm. <laughs> and and other things and that's and i think there is still a world for films their films have elements of what originally was literature and there's a way to express that hopefully um there's still so many good great movies getting made i mean it's just yeah yeah, but it's i think that that's why we have to be so self-conscious about our our bottom line our budgets to because then you ask that question do you want to keep making movies you want to do that which is like the whole thing i mean that was again another thing with buck which was like i had to be very careful and risk averse because basically I knew I was going to be making an experimental existential drama. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of what I love about, like, there's two other filmmakers that come to mind. Like, it's kind of why I still love Steven Spielberg so much, which is he always has that, like, one for them, one for me kind of mantra that he does. Like, I'll do the big blockbuster thing that's going to grab, and I'm going to do Munich, which is, like, my own, like, thing that I'm obsessed with, and I'm going to make it. But then I feel like uh, James Wan is someone who is kind of doing the same thing. He makes Aquaman and then just came out with this other movie called Malignant, which is, you say what you want about it, but it is very much his thing. Yeah. <laughs> very small budget. I haven't budget. seen it. I like, want to see it, though. It is bonkers. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, I think there is a way to kind of play that system, too. It's like, sure, I can take this and do something with it, and then I can go off and do my own thing 
So what you're saying is, is you do need to take the big job. That's right. Play, so, play, play the game. Avengers 8, we've told it right now, being directed by, <laughs> by well, Ben Epstein. Yeah, no, but, but like you were saying, or just like Soderbergh is like, right. it's the king of doing all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't, I think he's got to have body doubles now for how many movies he makes. Oh, it's possible. It's Can I make it with just a GoPro? Let's try. <laughs> yeah, like, no, but he's just willing to do it. And it's like, he just keeps kind of like making his own rules up, but then he'll go and he'll do something big budget and then it'll make money. Mm-hmm. You know, I listened to an interview with him recently. He also makes a very fine distinction between he makes films and movies. It's fascinating to hear him talk. He's like, that was a movie I made. That was a film I made. And he goes back and forth with it. Yeah. Probably how he stays sane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so much stuff becomes semantics. Uh, yeah. it, like it could be personal psychology too, because yeah, it, is a photographer a photographer that makes a beautiful art piece or one that takes corporate photos because they pay help portraits because they pay money for you to go into an office, take pictures of people's faces. I don't know. And a lot of, uh, there's a famous photographer here, uh, George Weber, a pretty prominent elder statesman of photography. And I remember sat down with him on a podcast interview and he's like, you can't be a photographer like I was 50 years ago. Nobody has a staff photographer in a company. Schools don't have. So he's like, everybody's got to grind it out. And he talks about how some of his friends are, had to get degrees and work as a whatever, mm-hmm. as a business person and become sort of a hobbyist until they pick it up. Do you think like amongst your peers or the people that you're growing up with, it's the same feeling? Is it, is there a high burnout rate right now with artists uh, that are making films uh, or is there still a pretty good uh, push and some support under the under the seams that we don't see as sort of commercial consumers of movies. Well, I mean, the part of the engine that makes there's a strike going getting That's going right. right now because people are so burnt out, you know. And that those the, the those guys who are widely forgotten, which are lucky. Luckily for me, a lot of my collaborators who like as far as the people who shoot the really big stuff, mm-hmm. like those are some of my like close friends. Like been doing this half of our lives together, and they're at that level, but they're like breaking their backs and stuff. Like some crazy stuff is happening. So like, you know, uh, supporting what they think it needs. And I think it is about having the time on those kind of things is one big part with the burnout. I think the mental burnout, I think that there's an element as far as the mental burnout, which is that's part of this rat race too, which is just the like, you know, um, you got to be tough as nails and you got to deal with a lot of like i mean it's it's like it, you almost have to be a masochist when it comes to like how like no just how ugly like things can get or if something doesn't resonate or whatever that is like again if i think that if there isn't a level of this being like a personal thing for someone like why are you doing this mm-hmm. i think that like and like you're saying with photography it's like you're like remembering why you're doing this and then, and then that can be the very quick way to just kind of get up the next day and do it again and do it again. And then we have these small wins where it's like, oh, look, I'm in Calgary. People are watching my movie in a theater. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. Yeah, it's cool. You know, so. Who, who are some of those peers that, uh, that you like the work that they're doing? Well, we were talking about before this, uh, I think just as far as the, the presence of what he's selling, which is like yeah. the whole Jim Cummings movement. Yeah. Uh, is is very cool. Um, I personally don't know Jim, but one of my very close collaborators, uh, Chase Joliet, who was uh, Levi in the movie, and he was a producer on the movie. They all come out of that Krisha camp. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that movie. Yeah. And it was just like $30,000 movie these guys all made, and it won South by, and it kind of yeah. started launched career for a bunch of these dudes. And Krisha herself is an actress. Um, and, uh, and, but they've just kind of like, they're sticking to this like kind of indie thing, and uh, Jim has a movie 
that's here uh, as well. And I just, saw it last night, by the way. Was it the one you tweeted about? Yeah. Oh, my thumb clicked. Is that the one you tweeted about? <laughs> You're getting old I don't even need a pen. Yes, I, yeah. I do. I do. Oh, my elbow. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's all the photography. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I, but no, I, and it's like, I wish I had more like completely other, that aren't just even the writer directors, but like there are just, uh, you know, just even cinema, my two of my friends who really helped me out on this movie. Um, and they're actually genre guys. Are you familiar with Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson's movies? I don't know if I am. Um, what are some of the ones that they've done? The first one that like really blew up for them was The Endless. And mm. that was on Netflix for a while. Right. And then they just made their first big budget thing, which was synchronic. Um, but um, Dave Lawson, their producer, it, that was, and it was a, a movie that got a pretty wide release. And they've been like making movies with uh, the company XYZ Films since like its birth. Right. And they started like their movie resolution. They made for 20 grand when Justin was ready to quit the industry and go get a job at a, like this law firm. Like, start law, I think he was going to law school or something. <sighs> And then the movie got into Tribeca and it, that's again what I was saying about the film festival thing. And then you get that thing. And then now these guys are making movies for Netflix and directing Twilight Zone episodes kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. But so like that inspiration, but as well as calling them, calling their producers and the fact that they like not only watch Buck and, and like give the, the, uh, the stamp of whatever, or the approval, you know, their candid opinion and notes, as well as making connections with certain people. Like it's just not forgetting their total indie spirit, even though they have quote unquote made it, but then also going back to what you were saying about the struggle between, which is like telling us to make sure we have a shot of whiskey on our little wins because no one else recognizes the like months of the like, the, the grind and the hustle and the, the not knowing what's going to end up happening. And that, yeah. that's coming from guys who are like, they're just, they're constantly working. They're constantly like, they're making movies. They've done it. Um, so yeah, no, that's I really cool. like Aaron and Dave are great. Um, By the way, in Canada, we actually have to say it's XYZ films. Okay. So got it. <laughs> um, no. I'm, I'm shaking my head silently for the microphone. Yeah. Classic Kyle. Classic. Um, of the ones that you can actually announce, like if people were interested in checking out Buck Alamo, what other festivals is it going to be playing that people can check it out at? Our next one we're going to after this is next month at Austin Film Festival. Mm -hmm. um, we're finally doing our U.S. premiere. So we've been playing Europe uh, where basically we've been kind of cha like chasing this uh, physical, uh, trying to just have that theater experience and yeah. doing that thing. Um, safe, safely and all of that. And it's great. These festivals that are like still making it possible. Um, but yeah, Austin film festival is going to be our big shebang. Cause we kind of went backwards from Europe to Canada to not only to the U S but actually back to Austin where we made the movie <laughs> right, right. and got so much support. Um, and also like shout out to the Austin scene guys, Mike Blizzard, who's Richard Linkletter's producer. Right. And he introduced us to Richard Linkletter, like That's did cool. the whole thing and it was all really cool stuff, but basically just making it all small and making it all real. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll be there and we're going to have a big celebration. I'm not sure as far as what, cause I know that they're going to maybe have some kind of virtual element to it, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if it's going to be geoblock just to Texas. Um, and then yeah, premiering we're other premieres that we can't talk about quite yet, uh, after that. Yeah. And then we'll just, we'll, we'll see on, we'll just, uh, remember Buck Alamo, you know, hopefully someone, <laughs> someone will. Just a quick question. I don't know if we're wrapping up, but what was it like? Um, I mean, I'm presuming the way it shot, I mean, you're editing on a computer or, or something very small, but you got your first theater experience. Is it? 
And what is that like to just see your work cast on a on a grand scale? It must be a fascinating. It's both fascinating and terrifying. Yeah. I, I I'm not. I, I wish I was better, and I'm getting better about the like being in the theater thing with the audience kind of stuff. Mm. I think that the theater itself is like the one which is like if you have a subtle joke and it's like one chuckle lets the next guy know it's a joke and then that guy chuckles <laughs> too and then yeah. you know and like those, those there are some things that are just irreplaceable because like you said when you're trying to find a tone um, and I think being with other people is very helpful in doing that um, and then it's the I have a, a like you were saying about the whole like everything's a dramedy now and it's like I and I know it's not but it's like I say it's like yeah I write comedies you know but it's obviously not it's dr dramatic but it's but like knowing that there is all of those elements in there it's also so stinking cool our biggest thing was when we got to uh, go to the post house anarchy post to, to do our 5-1 mix which was like in a theater and we just had that and we watched that play back for the first time it was actually one of the really cool is just a couple of the producers. My longest collaborator that I have is my buddy, Matt Schwartz, who's our sound designer um, and re-recording mixer and a lot of other things, but um, incredibly talented guy and is willing to like work through things with me because sound is so important. Filmmakers need to know that sound is so important. And when we did that and he had his girlfriend there. And she was one of the first people, because unfortunately with what the book was, and we didn't do a lot of test screenings or anything like that. Like, And I, again, going back to the like, you know what, I'm just going to make this movie and go through my own head, but not take too much notes, do stuff. We're just going to push this out there and let it be right. what it's going to be. But looking back at that moment and his girlfriend was sitting behind and she's just crying. <laughs> and like you said, she just mentioned her dad. And she's like, this is my dad. <laughs> this is my dad. I hate his guts. Um, you know, like one of those. And, then, you know, and I was like, it worked. And that was my whole thing. I was like, yes, it works. That's you know, so which good. is like, again, it was all about, it is, it's movies called Buck Alamo mm. for a reason, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then that was just, that was that moment. And it was great. Um, and then, and luckily it just, like we said, the fact that the Euros got attached to it and they were like, they, mm -hmm. you know, are like connecting, I guess. And then obviously they're like existentialism. Mm. Yeah. They love it over there. You know? <laughs> they invented it. The Existen French did, yeah. Existential singing cowboy movie. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> well, they're, they're also not burdened by some of the, uh, cultural language that we use in North America as yeah. far as yeah, coding, which is the word mm. I've been using a lot lately. Uh, and expectations and, and the genres, you know, this idea that, I mean, if I saw the term Buck Alamo, I have no idea what I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have a genre expectation per se. Um, but certainly yeah, in Europe, it's different. As we've seen a few European movies, you're just kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, there's right. a reason why, yeah, spaghetti westerns right. changed the Western genre, but it had to happen in Europe because yeah. we couldn't do it here. Yeah, mm -hmm. my wife gets really angry. I watch spaghetti westerns late at night. <laughs> When else am I going to watch like them? Three-hour <laughs> long movie yeah. at eleven o'clock. Yeah, exactly. So, try, so, so turning on one of the, those movies and then just choo, 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 and just wakes up, you know, just one of those things. But it's yeah, it's a, it's not a weird dream place to be taken to, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're done here. Well, the the machine sign is that we do have to wrap up here um, with each other. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy uh, vessel schedule here to sit down with us. Do you have any socials for people if they wanted to check you out, see what you're up to? Yeah, I think, I wish I knew them well. I'm trying to get into it. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, my Twitter is uh, at Ben Epstein Film, I believe, or okay. at Ben Epstein, one or the other. And then uh, 
the movie is at Buck Alamo, mm-hmm. and we've given Buck free reign to tweet from mm-hmm. his own voice versus a movie's voice, which That's is so funny. Which has right. uh, been been fun. He's hashtag twitting now. <laughs> Um, and, um, my Instagram is at Ben underscore Epstein. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. This is awesome. It's fun. We've met a director, Kyle. I know. This is great. Where was I this entire episode?